damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over when the Trevor's Bomb Pro Honor? The castration of the major league baseball managers, we know it. Ask me about my win. And during that stretch, when they won five games and lost three games, the games they lost, they scored zero, one, and three runs. In. Very good possibility to have Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. How come you're only looking at a certain amount of money that gets rewarded to a particular franchise as we hit the halfway point here on the past ball show? Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. I may come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hey, prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. What's going on, everybody? Another edition of the Passball Show coming at you live. Anything on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America, just shoot back at me. I'm going to go rapid fire three topics and it will be done pretty quick. Like I said, whatever's on your mind, I want you to communicate with me. Um, ESPN, of course, did a 30 for 30 documentary on a 1986 Mets. And if you go back in a time of what it was like to be a Mets fan in that time, or if you lived through 1986, the run to the World Series, uh, the series against the Houston Astros, the World Series, of course, with the Boston Red Sox and, you know, the crazy um, happenings at the end of Game 6, which led the Mets to a miraculous victory, a victory which, in all seriousness, you probably, you know, if that game's played 100 times in that same format, in that same last inning, it probably doesn't work out that way. The Mets probably don't win that game 99 out of 100 times. But if you follow that time, I think there's a lot of information that you already knew about the Mets, kind of their their bad boy attitude, the cocaine, whether it was Keith Hernandez, Dal Strawberry, Dwight Gooden, um, the building of that team from Frank Cashin down to Davey Johnson, and of course the development of Strawberry and Gooden, which had a huge impact, the trade for Keith Hernandez in 1983, the trade for Gary Carter before the 1985 season, and Davey Johnson's declaration that they're going to be the team to beat. They're expecting to go out there and win themselves a World Series in 1986. All valuable information, but information that we knew about. The one thing that I thought had some fascination to it, because as a baseball fan, as somebody that understands the 86 Mets, knows everything that built up to the 1986 Mets, to where they ended up going, to what they ended up doing, I focused a little bit on the George Foster part. George Foster's departure from the Mets. And of course, what was very important about George Foster is really without George Foster, there is a possibility that maybe the Mets don't build up what they end up becoming. They don't maybe they don't become World Series championships without George Foster really being the first star player with the balls to give it a chance 
with this New York Mets team. Remember, the Mets, what they were at the end of the 1970s in the early part of the 1980s, they were an awful team. They were a bad baseball team. They were one of the worst teams in all of professional sports, let alone baseball. George Foster goes out there. He's got the balls to sign a contract after he's traded from the Reds to the Mets, which a lot of people weren't happy when these things ended up happening. But he's traded to the Mets. He signs a five-year contract, ends up becoming an important part of the Mets building up to 1986. Well, we know what happens in 1986. Things end up not working out right for George Foster. He loses playing time, whether it's to Kevin Mitchell, whether it's to Lenny Dykstra, and ultimately it leads to him losing his job. He gets released by the New York Mets, but uh, in a situation where George Foster may have had something to do with it. George Foster, if he keeps his mouth shut, maybe playing baseball in the 1986 postseason, maybe is on the field when the Mets win the World Series championship. Now, one thing I thought was interesting about this documentary is the mention of George Foster being in the clubhouse or at at Shea Stadium in Game 6 of the World Series. I did not know that. He's there dressed in a, you know, a, you know probably looking dapper with a nice-looking suit and jacket on. And he, he's basically in the back saying he still thinks the Mets are going to win. Still showing his support to the team that let him go just a couple months before. And it wasn't without controversy. I knew about the, the brawl with the Reds and you know Ray Knight and Eric Davis and George Foster's decision to sit on the bench. I know that that's something that wouldn't resonate well in a game today in baseball. It's something that didn't resonate well with the players there. I'm sure the players, his teammates were disappointed with his decision to sit on the bench and not even come out on the field. Nobody's asking George Foster to go out there and and throw uh, haymakers with Pete Rose. But the fact that he didn't come out on the field was disrespect to his teammates and didn't show the appropriate support for the guys that he was there to go to war with. And obviously, I mean that in a literal sense because the Mets and Reds are slugging it out on the field. But once again, this isn't about you know George Foster needing to sucker punch Tony Perez. This is the fact that George Foster made a decision that he wasn't going to go out on the field. He was going to sit on the bench in a dugout while the rest of his teammates were, were fighting with the Cincinnati Reds. George takes a couple steps back. Um, I'm sure it's emotions talking, but he makes the comment that he feels that the, his, the decision to release him was racially motivated. Perhaps they released George Foster. They signed Lee Mazzilli. Lee Mazzilli, a white ball player, obviously with ties to the Mets from the early part of the 1980s. And obviously the naysayers will go after George Foster and say, well, listen, who did you end up losing playing time to? Kevin Mitchell, a black man. So was this a racially motivated situation? And I think it's hard to say because the easiest thing to say is just to knock George Foster and say, why does he bring up race? Why does he use perhaps the race card? Maybe it's just that last level of leverage you could ever have um, as, as a darker skinned person. But I believe that he has some credibility by throwing race out there because he was part of the Mets for five plus years. It wasn't like he just got there. It wasn't like he didn't get five plus years of time to develop some sort of consciousness of what the situation was there. And racism, we we still haven't gotten through racism, but we've progressed over the last several years 
But racism in the 1980s was much worse than it is right now. George Foster walking through the, st see the streets of New York City, at, at times probably he gets he gets a, you know an N bomb thrown at him. I'm sure he experiences racism in the city just like he did in any major city in the 1980s. Now his feeling that Doc and Strawberry maybe were not the the players that the Mets got behind and promoted. Uh, I don't necessarily know if that was true. Uh, you know, Keith Hernandez, Gary Carter really become the turning points and the captains slash co-captains of the New York Mets team. And it doesn't mean that they were better players than Doc and Darrell. And I, I think if you jump into DeLorean, crank it up to 88 miles an hour and go back to 1986, your, your thought is probably that Darrell Strawberry and Dwight Gooden end up becoming Hall of Famers. They looked like Hall of Fame players right about to enter the prime of their careers. We, we all know what's happened since. And it's sad and it's almost tragic in a way. But if the Mets marketed themselves at that time in 1986, not knowing 100% that Darrell's got a problem, not knowing 100% that Doc is developing a problem, could they have marketed their team around their two black stars that they had at that time? And if that's George Foster's point, I think he's got every right to make it. And, and like I said, one, one of the issues with racism is when you go after somebody that's trying to make a point. Rather than, rather than saying that George Foster may have the right to say something and he may have some points and validity in what he is trying to speak, you go for the jugular and try to discredit him right away. And the white people trying to discredit George Foster were up and at him when they're trying to say, well, you lost your job to Kevin Mitchell, who's a black man. So, in other words, shut up. George Foster experienced New York City for the, the first half of the 1980s. I'm sure he dealt with racism. And if his point was simply that the Mets didn't market Strawberry and Gooden as their stars and maybe were afraid to because they were black, I don't think that's such a terrible point if he decided to make it. Point number two, jumping into the NFL. There's going to be a lot of attention to this Buccaneers-Patriots game. Tom Brady playing 20 years for the New England Patriots, winning six Super Bowls, wins a Super Bowl in his first year in Tampa Bay. Now he's going back to Foxborough. First of all, number one, if you're any sort of Boston sports fan, you are bowing down to Tom Brady. You're cheering him. You're giving him respect for everything that he did. Tom Brady, as an athlete in the history of Boston sports, is right up there with Ted Williams. He's right up there with Bill Russell. He's right up there with, you know, Bobby Orr and Ray Bork. You know, Carl Yastrzemski, probably ahead of most of those guys when you're talking about the legend of Tom Brady and what he's going to be remembered for, for what he accomplished in the history of Boston sports. You, you better bow down to him. You better give him a standing ovation you know, for the first quarter, the first half. And understand in the end that it's a game and you're rooting for the Pats and he's playing for the other team. So you're not rooting for him to win. You're rooting for him to stay healthy. You're rooting to be at the stadium to get the opportunity to see him and cheer him on. But in the end, you're not rooting for him to beat you. Problem is, that's what's going to happen. Problem is, you're looking at a situation where this game which will probably do great for ratings. Ratings are going to be outstanding. It's not going to be much of a game. 
We're looking at a New England team that is in transition. We're looking at a New England football team that is not the same without Tom Brady, but also took a step back last year with Cam Newton as a quarterback. Now, Mac Jones is there. Mac Jones shows a little vulnerability, and I think you're going to see it in full force. Um, you asked about the elements of Bill Belichick, which I think is important because Bill Belichick as a coach has done a great job in setting the, his team up to compete against the opposition. In other words, who are you going to take away from the offensive side of the ball in regards to defensive game planning? And you're going to see it. And I think Bill Belichick will come up with a very good game plan. I think the Patriots' defense can uh, you know, do some things against the Tampa Bay offense. But here's the thing. Tampa Bay is going up against a loss last week, uh, a loss against a good team, a loss against a team that may be better than them right now. The Los Angeles Rams may be a better football team. And I think Brady is going. Is, you know, has, certainly has the mind games as he's coming in, and you know, maybe it could be too much for him. But the Bucks are going to plan to beat the Patriots because they're expected to beat the Patriots. Beat the Patriots, and when they go out there and they dominate them, a lot of people that tuned into the game to see Brady up against the New England Patriots, the whole Tom versus Bill thing. I don't think you can necessarily squash that when you're talking about who's better. Who's better, Brady or Belichick? I don't think you're going to be able to determine that when you're watching this football game. Because I think the Buccaneers are leaps and bounds ahead of the Patriots right now. Now, what are we going to see out of Mac Jones? Listen, I I think I'm intrigued enough. I'd like to see him a little bit. Starting quarterback out of Alabama. Could have been a top three pick. 49ers wanted to take him number three. And in the end, he drops all the way to the mid-teens. Goes to the Patriots. He's starting from game one. Cam Newton ain't there anymore. But my, my major point about this, you're going to flock to the TV to watch Bucks patriots It's going to do great from a rating standpoint. It's going to be a disappointment when you're looking at what the results are on the field. It's not going to be a good game. It's not going to be that game that's going to go down to the wire that you're going to see the ball in somebody's hands in the last two minutes. You're probably going to want to turn it off in the second half of the game. Last thing, Ben Simmons makes a decision, and he's got the right to make whatever decision he wants. He doesn't want to play basketball in Philadelphia anymore. He's not the first ball player, um, athlete in any major sport to do that. Certainly isn't the first basketball player. We talked about James Harden at around the same time last year. Now, not the same time calendar-wise, but same time in regards to the start of the NBA season. NBA is going to start within a couple weeks. Ben Simmons likely isn't going to be suiting up to play for the Philadelphia 76ers. 76ers are in a situation, well, hey, we could try to trade you, but it's not up to the Sixers to get pennies on the dollar. They should. They have every right to try to get the maximum amount of value they want for Ben Simmons, who has made it clear that he doesn't want to play there. He's made it clear that he doesn't want to talk to his teammates. He's made it clear that he doesn't want to talk to Doc Rivers or anybody associated with the Philadelphia 76ers. And as far as I'm going to go to support him is going to be to say it's within his rights to do. If he doesn't want to be there anymore, he's got the right to walk away. In fact, he's got the right to retire if he wants. You know, He's owed millions and millions of dollars over the course of the next four seasons. He doesn't want to play basketball anymore. He could hang him up and retire. And if he decides that that's what he wants to do, I would respect him a whole lot more than I'm respecting him right now. 
This is a guy that had the ball in his hands in the biggest part of the postseason for the Philadelphia 76ers team that was expected to compete for a shot at the NBA Finals. It could have been them. It could have been the Nets. In the end, it was the Bucks. But the 76ers were certainly up there amongst the elitist part of the Eastern Conference when it comes to basketball last year. Ben Simmons, opportunity to make differences on the basketball court didn't come through. He's forever going to be known for having a, a live and easy path to the basket, going right up to the basket and kicking them all out because he didn't want to take the shot. Is that is that the the gifs? Is that the uh, you know the giggles? Is he choking? Those are all different things that could be possibilities. Or is it the fact that Ben Simmons wants to play basketball a certain way? Is there a difference in regards to the way that Ben Simmons wants to play basketball and the way that he's being asked to play basketball by the Philadelphia 76ers? He's one of the higher paid players in the league, and obviously most players most on max contracts are making around the same amount of money. So it's not like he's in a league of his own. But he wants to play defense. He may want to handle the ball. He may not want anything to do with shooting or scoring. And if that's what he wants to do, he's got the right to pursue that if he wants to play with a different basketball team. Problem is, he's under contract for the Philadelphia 76ers, and he made that decision to sign a long-term extension with them. Now, could things change? Once again, may I be in a situation to stick up for him? Okay. I don't think it's crazy. I don't think it's nuts if I'm going to stick up for Ben Simmons and say he's got the right to not want to play for the Philadelphia 76ers if that's what he so chooses. James Harden made that same decision with the Houston Rockets last year. Now, there's going to be hardball, but I believe hardball exists on both sides of the equation in this one. Obviously, Ben Simmons hardball. He's not talking to Doc Rivers. He's not talking to Daryl Morey. He's not talking to any of his teammates. He's making it clear that he's not going to play basketball for the Philadelphia 76ers. There could be hardball on the other side, too. The right for the Philadelphia 76ers to employ him, to pay him, to keep him on the team, or the right to trade him. Because Ben Simmons asked to be traded, does it mean that he has to be traded? I think that's a valuable question to ask. Could the 76ers, in fact, play hardball and say, you know what, we're not going to trade you. At some point, you're going to have to show up if you want to receive your pay this year. And I know his contract was set up where about half of his contract's already been paid. They could withhold what they're going to pay him the rest of the year. And if he decides he doesn't want to play basketball anymore, well, you know, think about Le'Veon Bell a couple years ago with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I supported his decision. I supported his right to not want to play under a franchise tag, which was basically a graduated one-year contract to play football in the NFL. I got it. I understood it from a financial standpoint when it came to Le'Veon Bell. He gets hurt. He could be out of the league in a year or two. He gets hurt. He may not have the opportunity to get that type of contract that he very well deserves. So the Steelers basically telling him, hey, go out there, prove it one more season. Le'Veon Bell had the right to hold out and not play. Now, he became a free agent. He signed with the Jets. It didn't work out for Le'Veon Bell. And I don't know if that's the right example. Certainly different circumstances for the reason why the players chose to hold out. More people are going to be more supportive 
and compassionate over Le'Veon Bell's decision to hold out than Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons is on a long-term contract making an awful lot of money with all that financial security. But Ben Simmons, when he starts missing games, may start thinking about the similarities to Le'Veon Bell a little bit because he misses games. You could say, hey, it keeps his legs fresh. But we talk about this crazy thing called depreciation. Tiki Barber walked away from the NFL, went to the Today Show, got into media, three years later decided he wanted to play football again. And you, you saw how the game changed and how tough it is for Tiki Barber. And Tiki Barber would, would all do, and, and I mean this with all due respect to him, you know, was a great athlete, kept himself in the best possible shape. If there's any player that could take three years off, come back to the NFL, and still play at a high level, I think it would have been Tiki Barber. But the game changes. The players get stronger, faster, more physical. Is it a good idea for Ben Simmons to hold out? And I'm not talking about his pay right here. 76ers will exercise whatever right to withhold whatever pay that they want to. Which, why would you have any interest in paying a player for not playing for you? So outside of what they're obligated to pay him, 76ers should withhold every last bit of it. But... From a future standpoint, is Ben Simmons risking his future by not playing in basketball games this year? Now, you can talk about respect throughout the league. I think that's all forgotten once Ben Simmons gets traded. James Harden gets traded to Brooklyn Nets, and we start talking about the Brooklyn Nets and their opportunity to win an NBA championship. It ain't about the Houston Rockets anymore. It ain't about James Harden not wanting to play for the Rockets anymore. So I think that's a bunch of baloney. But what I'm talking about is if Ben Simmons decides to sit out the entire season this year, comes back next year, is he going to be the same ball player that he is right now? And if this holdout goes even longer than that, if there's a stalemate, if the 76ers say, listen, nobody's going to give us our asking price of what we're thinking, it's either Ben Simmons comes back and plays for us or he sits out the next four years And then he can become a free agent and play for whoever he wants. Once again, hardball exists on both sides of the spectrum. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Passball Show today. I'm going to be with you a little more often. Uh, we're going to do a little shorter clips when it comes to the show. Three topics, probably in a neighborhood of around 20 minutes. We're going to do Facebook Live. We're going to do YouTube Live. Keep your comments going. A little bit of a recap of the show today. George Foster, when it comes to the decision to mention race, as a part of his release from the New York Mets, I think there's actually a couple things that give him the right to say that. It's not all about Kevin Mitchell replacing him and Kevin Mitchell being black. It's about Strawberry and Gooden, where the Mets afraid to market the two black stars like they marketed Keith Hernandez and Gary Carter. And where, what was the experience of George Foster when it came to racism and race in his five plus years in New York City. Because it's not like he was there for a season. It's not like he was there for a couple months. There's something behind it. Racism in the 1980s was a lot worse than it is right now. Number two, Bucks Pats. I think you're going to want to watch the television. You're going to want to see the Patriot fans and Tom Brady when he makes the return to Foxborough. You're going to be drawn in but it's not going to be a game worth watching. Bucks are going to win this game going away. And Ben Simmons, 
when it comes to the regular season, the more time he misses if he sits out an entire season because he doesn't want to play basketball for the Philadelphia 76ers again, is he going to start to depreciate as a player? Is Le'Veon Bell a fair enough comparison? Maybe not under circumstances. More people are going to be compassionate to the reason that Le'Veon Bell held out and didn't play. But is Ben Simmons going to depreciate the way Le'Veon Bell did? All interesting points. We'll be back to you next time on the Pass Ball Show. You can obviously listen if you're interested. Download the podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, uh, Amazon Music, obviously YouTube. We're going YouTube live. Follow me on Twitter at John underscore Pielli. Brought to you by the best organization in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Generating money for kids for college. They've been doing that for the last 13 years. Type in bestscholars.org. You can check out their website. Also brought to you by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey. Two ways, one passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll be back with you next time. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.